That's What She Said is presented by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Laughter Permitted with Julie Foudy is back with season six from incredible conversations with five-time Olympic gold medalist and four-time WNBA champion Sue Bird to insights from Julie's life on and off the field. Check out Laughter Permitted wherever you get your podcasts. The NBA is back and our new weekday studio show, NBA Today, hosted by Malika Andrews, is on Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Get the latest info from Woj and Zach Lowe, as well as breakdowns from the likes of Richard Jefferson and Kendrick Perkins. That's NBA Today at 3 Eastern, noon Pacific on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap, and also available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. I'm Monica McNutt, and I have a dilemma with pointed toe shoes. They need to make more in an official size 12 because apparently my foot grew in the pandemic and 11s don't fit and I'm upset. Okay, a 12? Damn girl, those are boats. I'm like an inch or so taller than you and I'm in a 10, maybe 10 and a half in sneakers sometimes. A 12? That's gotta be a bitch. Uh, Most places kind of stop making cute women's shoes at 10 or 11. So, you know, I could tell you where to get extra long pants, but I cannot help you with the shoes. So this is, I guess, where the commish has to reach out to the audience. And if there's a, any big-footed ladies out there with tips on where to find cute shoes, hit up Monica, help her out. Or reasonably-sized-footed men who wear cute shoes, cute lady shoes, help her out. At McNutt Monica on Twitter. That's what she said. I hope everyone out there is doing great. I am. I just got back from an incredible week in California where I split my time between a few days of vacation, some amazing catch-ups with old friends, and then a few days of the annual ESPNW Summit, which was back in person this year in Torrey Pines. Beautiful, wonderful to be around people in person again. And that means next week, uh, a very special That's What She Said will be an interview with the incredible Sarah McLaughlin from the summit. Uh, She also performed after the interview, including uh, a new song that she's working on, which was incredible. I'm just so jealous of people who they don't need auto-tune. They don't need a backing band. She sat at the piano or she sat at the mic with a guitar, opened her mouth and made people so happy, made people, myself included, cry uh, with her gift. So the conversation we had was spectacular, too. That's next week. But this week, actually in keeping with the summit themes uh, of badass women, of lifting as you rise, of empowering and highlighting fresh new female voices, my guest is a superstar talent on the rise here at ESPN, Monica McNutt. She joined the ACC Network in 2019. She's now a studio analyst and game analyst for women's basketball on ESPN and its family of networks, panelist on Around the Horn, co-host of WNBA at the Half for ESPN, a Knicks studio analyst for MSG, and the host of Beyond Limits on CBS Sports. We talk about her childhood, about basketball leading her to Georgetown, the hustle that got her through some rough times when she wasn't sure if she was going to make it in this business, Uh, the little-known, never-seen show that helped her get a big break, and more. You guys are going to love hearing from her. I loved getting to know her some more. Uh, And keep an eye out for her. She's probably, you know, taking over this company soon. That's what she said. So every once in a while, I'll be sitting back, getting ready for Around the Horn, waiting for the plasmas to populate, because I'm usually first one in my chair. And somebody new pops in, and I think to myself, who is this person? Have I been told about them? Where did they come from? What do they do? Are they going to be good at this? Is this going to be someone I can make fun of and have fun with? Or will I have to be very gentle and kind around them until they feel their way through the ropes and feel comfortable getting their ass handed to them? And one Monica McNutt populated a plasma screen not too long ago. And I knew from the second she had her big smile and was talking shit before we even started that she was going to be my favorite. And then we did our first highly questionable together. She tried to answer with gum in her mouth that then she proceeded to take out of her mouth while we were taping a television show. And I really knew she was my kind of people. And she is taking over the network. So it's a good thing I like her. And hopefully she likes me because when she's president one day, I'm going to need her to re-up this contract I got. It's Monica McNutt, and you guys all know of her now, but you probably don't know much about her because, boy, did she come out of nowhere. 
<laughs> Monica, I can't wait to pick your brain and learn more about you. Where the hell is Suitland? Oh my God. Why, first of all, why did you say it so aggressively? You got Is say that it, how you oh, say suitland. it? Or is it it's just Suitland? Sweet, sweet. No, it's, oh, no. Su- Suitland. It's just the suit, but yeah, like Suitland. Like just, Not just say it's Spain. Not Come on, Suitland. suitland. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the intro is hilarious. I don't remember talking um, shit at, before we did uh, Around the Horn because honestly, Spain, like you are so intimidating, but like in a good way. <laughs> like, I'm like, first of all, she knows everything. She don't cut no cards. And then I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there with the three of you. I don't remember who my first shows were. Like there's you who I followed as a, as a woman that's done dope things in the business. Then there's these writers who have years of like mm-hmm. whatever sport, yep. probably before I was born. Um, and so it was a little bit intimidating. And as I reflect, actually, it was such a wink that I jumped in during basketball season because I was right in my wheelhouse. If y'all yeah. had thrown me in there doing baseball, I'd have been like, um, are you sure you want me on the show? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I don't remember if there was full on shit talking or if I just knew that you could handle it. But either way, I was like, all right, she's she's ready for this. I believe my first word done around the horn when Tony introduced me for my first show was, what's up, losers? <laughs> That is so on brand. I came in hot. (laughs) I did not, in fact, win that day. Jackie Mack beat me. All right. Tell me about uh, Suitland. Suitland. All right. So Prince George's County. um, uh, Just, what are we, like 20 minutes outside of the D.C. area? uh, Or out of the D.C. proper. So Suitland is a part of the D.C. area. The very popular region, which we call the DMV, which does not stand for the Department of Motor Vehicles, (laughs) but D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Um, We're super proud of our basketball prospects that have come out of the area, both on the men's and women's side. And so I grew up hooping in that area. Um, like, and this is not to name drop, but like, obviously it is to name drop. Actually the guy <laughs> that hails from PG County seat pleasant down the street from Suitland would be Kevin Durant. And so oh. literally like you're in the gym, if you grew up in that era, you saw him at run a shoot and Mike Beasley and Josh Harden and those guys, they're a little younger than me now, but um, yeah. So we're super proud of our basketball products. We got a couple NFL guys too, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, meanwhile, I was getting my ass kicked by Tamika Ketching. So I had to be on the Ooh. actual same court as the person, Ooh. not just looking, looking from the stands. Um, so, okay. So how many siblings do you have? Were you all super into sports or your parents into sports? So I have one younger sister who was a thespian. She was into performing arts um, big right. time. We're it's lesbian, which is different than thespian, which my is a, someone who is a lesbian who's into the theater, I believe. <laughs> yep. Yeah. See, this is why I'm on the spot. Thank you for listen. I'm good for messing up the P's and the B's yeah. and the PH. I'll tell you the story about the honestly. That I, is I, a common portmanteau. I think is people uh, accidentally combining thespian and lesbian. So I, listen, it happens. Um, she was in the performing arts. Um, my dad was a high school official. Um, oh boy, all my life, like just all my life. And I remember him saying, and I kind of get it now that I work in sports, he's like, this is still fun for me. If he were to chase it at the collegiate level or pro level, it would become a job. And then, of course, um, his position was super dope as I got serious about the game because he was my first coach and all of this stuff. Um, And so he had a huge part in me just kind of falling in love with the game and then obviously pursuing it and getting better in it. Okay, so were there other sports you were into or was it always just basketball? We did cross country for a hot second, track and field cross country. And then there was tennis. Tennis was actually the first sport I played. Shout out to Venus and Serena. And again, with my dad, like we went to the park and we worked on it and worked on it. Um, and then somewhere around third grade, after tagging along with him to games throughout the city, um, he was like really well known as a ref. So he got good games, like going into state championships and playoffs and all that good stuff. I was kind of like, Dad, I want to play basketball now. And so that's what we did. <laughs> nice. Were you all, always like automatically quite good? Um, so I went to small church school. Like I was, first of all, off the break, you know how this goes, man. I was the tallest. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my dad was really deliberate in that he didn't let me do AAU ball until middle school. Um, so by the time I was competing with girls that were, I didn't know there was AAU before middle school. That seems very young. No. And that, that was his thing. He's like, none of these (laughs) kids have fundamentals. And legit, right. you know, legit, especially in our area, which is yeah. it's so interesting to me when I have the conversation with people about um, women's sports. I'm not going to say that women's sports are treated the same in the D.C. area as men's are. But when I look around the country and have conversations with other people, the basketball culture of where I'm from, I did not feel the disparity as greatly as I hear from some of my right. peers. 
yeah. just because people loved hoops and there were women that came out of the area that were dope before, you know, the WNBA or whatever. So, um, yeah, there was eight-year-old, six-year-old AAU for girls. And he was like, no, we're not doing that. Um, I really want you to establish your fundamentals so that when you go out and compete, that foundation is laid. So um, by the time I got to AAU competing with girls that also had futures in the game, I was able to hold my own. Yeah. So what did you think you wanted to do for a living growing up? It, so I was a Food Channel baby, Food Network baby. <laughs> my mom's always like, you didn't watch cartoons, you watch Food Network. She's like, I can't ever come downstairs. I'm like, Wanda, what are you doing? Watching Emerald Lagasse? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, bam. So exactly. Bam, right? <laughs> um, so I wanted to be a chef. And then my mom was always kind of ahead of the curve in terms of um, holistic eating and dieting and stuff. So like, I've never done dairy. We didn't do dairy as kids. Um, and so the you when don't I eat cheese. College, I don't know dairy Spain. Well, now here's the thing: uh, I eat mayonnaise and I eat eggs, but like dude, that's not dude, dude. First of all, what you can't be non-dairy and make an exception for mayonnaise of listen, all but things. listen, because I have I'm to end have this to interview right now. If you eat mayonnaise and not cheese, which is the greatest food ever because, invented, okay? Because I have to clarify because people are like, do you eat mayonnaise? Do you eat chocolate? Like I don't eat. Milk straight up byproducts. So like cheese is out, ice cream's out, yogurt's out. Like I, I ice cannot cream. process it. <gasps> I'm sorry. I know. So sad I can't for you. But now there's so many great alternatives. And girl, no, they're not. You just don't know the difference. No, you don't know the difference. See, which is which is a blessing in disguise. You can't replace cheese or ice cream. Listen, I'm a vegetarian. I would love to be a vegan. I can't replace cheese or ice cream because all the fake things that are supposed to be the same are not the same. Okay, so you got to be the same. Can you tolerate any of them? So can you do like Ben and Jerry's? Almond milk based option. No, not the same. No, but I can drink almond milk or oat milk. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So you got into nutrition. So you thought maybe that. Yeah, I thought maybe nutrition and fitness, right? Um, And then my sports and information director in college, Barbara Jonas. Shout out to Barbara Jonas, who's now Barbara Barnes. Wow, she's been married for like a decade. I'm old. She was the first person that said to me, "Hey, mom, like you're really good with these interviews. You should look into this, right?" Because I was always in running my mouth as a captain. Um, and so she really was the first person that sparked that. And I remember taking a journalism class my junior year, um, and then interning at NBC four under, at the time it was Lindsay Zarniak, Dan Helling, Hakeem Dermish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just kind of being like, it all came together in that moment. And I knew that I wanted to stay close to sports because they had been so important um, to me, but I didn't want to. And honestly, I didn't think I was good enough to go to W. Sometimes I regret not even trying. But overseas was out for me. I was ready for something new. So that's yeah. how we did the sports thing. It, it's funny. Like the interviews were just sort of for fun then that where where the athletic director thought you had something there. Yeah. So or they were interviewing our, you and you were like such a natural. The So my junior year, we went back to the NCAA tournament for the first time in, God, I want to say, was it 30? Sweet crazy. 16, right? Yeah. Sweet 16. And so there was a decent amount of buzz in the city. Like we were actually doing interviews. Um, of course, the student paper was always around and that was fun. But like the locals were starting to show us um, some attention and some love. And so, yeah, I was the one running my mouth. Yeah, and she was like, that's Mom, so you funny. Should do this. Um, I once hosted a fake show like my teammates. Dad always had a camera at all our games. And I once pulled aside our friend who was on the other team who we had just beaten and did a fake post game interview about why do you think you just lost to us? And was it my <laughs> triple double, actually quadruple double, if you count my turnovers and like just completely out of the blue for no reason and then like later i look back and i'm like oh well duh like i was already getting started without even trying so you were at georgetown which is a fantastic school was that an important to you at the time or were you kind of just about the program and the sports side of it or were you aware in terms of the offers you were getting that you wanted to find a balance of academics and sports I was 100% aware. And to be fair, my mom really wanted me to go to Princeton. <laughs> and I was like, no, mom, I'm not doing that. Um, Why? Why so judgy about the Ivy League? I did, for, I'm not smart like that, Spain. Okay, thespian. Monica. Like, I'm just, that's just not me. Right. Like, Not a thespian or a lesbian. <laughs> as far as I know, I wanted to be a thespian. Didn't work out. Now I'm doing this. Wait, so I think you are smart like that, though. I don't. And it's so funny. And I appreciate that, though. But, like, my sister's a brain. I'm kind of like... I mean, I have a little critical thinking skills, I think, are de- that are decent, but I I wasn't, I was like, mom, I got to be like, I'm not failing the class. Like, what, what's the problem? And she used to be so mad at me. I'm like, so part of it was that if you had gotten in, you don't know that you would have felt totally comfortable 
because you would have felt like maybe you were an athlete that got in and then you have to to really you know be um, academic in a way that wasn't natural to you? Bingo. I think okay. that was a part of it. And I was looking for a combination of academics that I could be proud of and think big picture that would carry weight and an opportunity to compete athletically, right? right. While Princeton is the perennial um, winner out of the Ivy League, I wasn't 100% sure the combination worked for me. Whereas right. at the time, Georgetown, quite honestly, was bottom half of the Big East. Um, but I knew that I would play and I would have an opportunity to be a part of something special. And at the time, Ty Evans was no longer there. Um, he recruited me and I really bought into the whole recruiting thing in terms of me being a piece that would help put the program back on the right track. And as a competitor, back then, that was Marquette was ranked, Rutgers was ranked, West Virginia, Louisville, all the, oh, this is the original, one, well, to me, the original Big East configuration. Right. Where we had seven women's basketball teams that were ranked and that there's no way to get better unless you have the opportunity to play against and compete against the best. And so that appealed to me. And plus on my recruiting trip, I met Big John and I was like completely smitten because <laughs> yeah. my dad was a huge Georgetown guy. And so I understood who he was and what he meant. Um, and I remember him asking me straight up, like, um, are there any other schools that can do for you what a Georgetown degree yeah. can do? And I was John- like, well, my mom wants me to go to Princeton. And he was like, you don't want to do that, do you? And I was like, no. <laughs> Nice work by John Thompson. So he's obviously on the men's side. Who was your coach on the women's side? And was that a connection that was instant for you? Terry williams Um And I, instant is a funny word. I'm very That's much a no. Into, well, so here's, a, it, wasn't, it wasn't not a connection, right? Like, it wasn't not a connection, but I think I, for the most part, in most of my relationships, I'm not the needy type. Just give me a chance to play, right? Right. Um, and so Terry's a little, she's a little prickly. And I, mm. as a naive freshman, super bubbly personality, like, oh, everything's going to be great. Like I remember our first preseason and I didn't mind running, but one of the assistants who also is like a dear friend now, he was like pissed because I was still so happy about running. <laughs> like, like, you're not taking this serious enough. I'm like, no, I am. I'm just like, why I gotta be mad about it? Like, it's just, we gotta do it. <laughs> um, and so I think we had to learn each other. Because, uh, you know, and coming through high school, I think sometimes people thought at points I, was, I wasn't I was taking things seriously because I do have a smile on my face oftentimes. Yeah. And that wasn't necessarily translation. So once we learned each other, um, I love Terry to death, but she put a lot on my plate in terms of leadership. And girl, we had some drama and personalities on that squad. Yeah, it's interesting sometimes how being a natural leader or being a positive presence or any of those things can end up getting you saddled with stuff that like in mm-hmm. the end you realize it's actually a tremendous compliment from them to see you that way as like a, yep. a second coach or a leader. But um, in the moment you might be like, what, what the hell? Why, why do I have to be the one who's <laughs> dealing with this? Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I had a coach in high school whose whole thing was just like, never compliment Sarah. Just like oh. always lift up all the other people who need a confidence boost and you got this, you're good. I don't need to ever say anything nice to you. I'm like, but it would oh. be nice. Yeah. It would be nice if every once in a while mm-hmm. you gave me like one time it was like, oh, I know why you got all the blocks. You just have long arms. You're not even, you're not even jumping. I'm like, what? <laughs> How about timing? Like, I did it it well. Yeah. Um, All right. So you end up having a lot of success. You mentioned go to Sweet 16. You have this great balance of of academics. And and then you decide, you know, that you're a natural at at the media side of things. It's difficult to not um, pursue that in terms of the education side and then to Mm -hmm. just go get an internship and get started. I know because that's what I did. I, I took a one, you know, one journalism class in college um, and not even sports specific and then decided to get into it years later. And you really have to play a lot of catch up. Did you feel like when you started um, at the internship and the Prince George's Community Television and News Channel 8, all those things were, were the early years natural for you in part because were you focusing on, on women's basketball and stuff that you really knew? So there's a there's a step between undergrad and those. I went to grad school. Oh right. Yeah. So it all came and, after. Um, no, I went, I went to grad school. So I took a year off between undergrad and grad school, and I was a kindergarten aide at a uh, <laughs> DC public charter school. Which I swear to God, I still maintain that is the most valuable career detour I had ever made. Oh good. Because I could go on a whole diatribe about how parents expect teachers to raise their kids, and that's not how it's supposed to work. But anyway. Um, the grad school thing was huge for me, though, because that was the first time I felt like I was in a meaningful classroom setting with skills that I knew I would apply as soon as somebody gave me the chance. Um, and so that was at the University of Maryland. Shout out to George Solomon, who is 
our PTI or around the horn producer, Aaron Solomon's dad, who I call my journalism fairy godfather. Right. Because I was sitting next to him at a banquet for the Washington Post and basically like shot my shot at the whole table. And he was like, well, why don't you come check out our graduate program? And that's kind of how that happened. Um, so in, it was funny because in grad school, I was already calling women's basketball games for Georgetown. I had pitched a column to the Washington Post called Transition Game. And it was basically wrapped around, are you catfishing your career and advice to high school athletes in pursuit of collegiate careers. Mm. Um, and so I remember there was this, toward our, my final semester of my program, there was this pull between grades versus work that I was actually doing that mattered. Right. And that was the first thing that I addressed in my um, end of program review. I can't remember the technical term we used to have for it. And I, I told the leadership of the program that straight up. Like, I think it's a, a bad look that you guys make us choose if we can prove, you know, we're doing real stuff in the space already. Um, and now I'm on the board at Merrill and we talk about that kind of stuff all the time. So after grad school though, Spain, like I was so naive in my head. I was like, what you mean? Like I'm from this area. I hooped at this area. I know people like I'm supposed to be the anchor at NBC Four sports, Washington, like duh, in a top 10 market immediately out of school. And that's just not how it worked. Um, and I look back and I, I really thank God, obviously, because I probably would have made a fool of myself and been fired. And yeah. I try to tell people coming up sometimes, you might be right that you're ready and people just don't get it, but more likely is you feel ready and you need to keep doing the jobs that are not Mm -hmm. quite as public facing with such a big audience. Cause then when you screw up, it's not going to hurt nearly as much. And then you're going to figure that shit out before you get somewhere where it's a much bigger deal if you screw up. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, so when I, it, it was cool for me because so many good things happened to me at home, whether it was going to Georgetown, then Maryland. Then my first few jobs were at home. But the one thing, when I talk to young people now, I'm like, you have to, two things, have a healthy relationship with the word no. And then you've also got to be able to advocate for yourself. Because when I look back in the early years of my career, even the last year at ESPN, nothing happens if I don't open my mouth and tell somebody, this is what I want and this is what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was like huge for me. Um, So by the time I landed my first like real job at at News Channel 8, which was the sister station to the ABC station in DC. Um, the news director at the time was like, listen, I can't give you sports. You don't have enough experience, but I can give you this MMA jo- MMJ, multimedia journalist job, and I'll let you cover sports. And so it was like, I had to do my work as the general news MMJ. And then I was hustling additionally to do the sports thing. Um, so, you, I mean, you just make it work when you're young and hungry, like you just, yeah. I'm, I'm adding to my tape and I want people to see me. And that's a big part of the game. So I remember reading, and actually there was a really quick clip on Twitter that circulated a, a couple weeks ago that was really great. And it was you sort of talking about how you almost had to quit it all and go back to teaching. You, you mm-hmm. worked at the Prince George's community TV. Uh, you worked at news channel eight before your position was eliminated. You moved to Florida in 2015 yeah. to work for the American sports network. I've never heard of that. What was it? It doesn't that? exist anymore. What was it? So you know, Sinclair, like the big broadcasting giant. Unfortunately I do. Yes. Right. So they had a foray. So they came in and bought the ABC station in DC. That was the first layoff. And I, I remember so clearly all of the, Older folks who were like mentors and supportive were like, oh, don't worry about it. You guys don't make enough money to get laid off. Of course, they eliminate myself and two of my colleagues, our position first. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the first layoff. But they were launching what they were calling their college sports network. And they had some kooky model where they were going to bring these um, mid-major sports to their newly acquired network stations. Bad business. Two years later, they shut it down. They don't even give it a chance. Whatever. So that's my second layoff in a window of three years. In Spain, I came home with my tail between my legs. Like, mm-hmm. I remember pulling up to my house and, like, crying. Because I was like, I'm supposed to be an adult now. I think I was, like, 26 at that point. Like, I had, in my mind, I was not coming home. Like, I was on my way in my career. Um, and and I love my parents. My parents have been tremendously supportive. But my mom, I remember saying to me, she's like, Monica, you make me feel like I did something wrong by supporting you. Because you walk oh, around. Oh, no. Right? Wow. I had to, Tough I had love. To, Listen, and I I hated that. Like that made me feel worse. And I was like, Mom, you got like, can you give me a week? That's one thing we do in our house. Like, because you were pout- pouting and you needed to just yeah. take it in. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you got to know how much I feel like a failure. Like, you just got to understand it. And even though your industry friends are like, layoffs are part of the game. Layoffs are part of the game. You still struggle to separate reporter versus Monica the reporter, right? Like, it's yeah. so closely intertwined. Um, so, girl, once I worked through all of that, I actually am so thankful for that. 18 month, almost two year period. 
um, for a couple different reasons. Uh, my family was going through some stuff that I just could not have forecasted. And I was right there. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, and then for me, like it was an excellent exercise in separating who I am from what I do, like for real. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what is your favorite word? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Good word. Uh, so originally meaning pertaining to or of the nature of a phenomenon back in 1803, uh, the idea of it uh, kind of moved into remarkable, exceptional, exciting wonder in 1850. And the word phenomenon dates back to the 1570s, meaning a fact directly observed, a thing that appears or is perceived, an occurrence. And then it was uh, kind of becoming an extraordinary occurrence in 1771. Good word, though. Phenomenal. I don't use it very often. I use fabulous. I use fantastic. I got to start using phenomenal. Speaking of great words. You're going to learn today. The word of the week actually makes an appearance in this here podcast, portmanteau. In the 1580s, it was a flexible traveling case or bag for clothes and other necessaries from the middle French. I never knew that. Uh, but it was actually originally in the 1540s, a court official who carried a prince's mantle, porte to carry and manteau cloak. So it goes from a court official carrying a prince's mantle to a flexible traveling case or bag for clothes and other necessaries. But then in 1882, the very famous Lewis Carroll created portmanteau, meaning a word blending the sound of two different words. And he created it for some of the words that he invented for jabberwocky on the idea of two meanings packed up into one word. So instead of that traveling case for bags or clothes, packing up two meanings into one word and it kind of evolved as a noun from 1872, but uh, really popularized by him in 1882. And there are a lot of common ones that you may not even think about when you say them as being portmanteaus. Brunch, ginormous, sitcom, frenemy, mansplain, hangry, turducken, affluenza, lots of celebrity names, Benefer, Brangelina, etc. But there are also some not so well known that I think should join sort of our common vernacular Textpectation, which is when you're anticipating waiting for uh, someone to text you back. Epiphanot, uh, which is an idea that seems amazing to the person who thought of it, but is really just sort of a word salad mess. So, you know, see Kyrie Irving. Uh, doppelbanger, <laughs> which is when someone sleeps with someone who looks just like them but isn't related to them. Uh, you can check out siblings or dating on Instagram for that one, at siblings or dating. That is an especially fun one for same-sex couples. I know at least one where I'm like, you guys are just sisters, but you're not related and you're just having sex with yourself. Doppelbanger. Uh, all right. So in a sentence, our first date inspired so many portmanteaus. First, he was being super selfish, you know, focusing on his cell phone instead of me and having a total non-versation. So I got really ambitious about the whole thing, you know, even bitchier than I normally am. And I told him, frankly, I'd rather master date than hang out with him. So I did. I went to dinner and a movie by myself. Now let's get back to the interview. So you are home and you taught cycling at LA Fitness. Um, I did. Love that. <laughs> um, and tell me how, because that's the end of 2018. Tell me um, how you went from there to taking over ESPN. Oh my gosh. So, so funny in this whole process of like, I, I am me. I'm not just what I do. Was also letting go of pride, right? Like I'm back home where people know me socially and professionally, right? Like, I'm not putting my reel out on Twitter, nah, because nah, like, no, I'm not telling everybody I'm looking for a job, right? Girl, please let all of that go. Um, and so <laughs> I finally, like, tweeted out a reel and basically had to own it. Like, I'm a free agent. And that's another thing that I think some of these journalism schools need to do a better job of. We didn't discuss how to freelance and make a living. Right. Like, you had to freelance for a couple class projects, but it was like, oh, you're going to graduate, you know, the first few months is tough, but you're going to get a job. Well, and it's like, such a different landscape that a lot of the people probably leading classes or giving advice are not used to a space right. where it's actually potentially better to have a bunch of a la carte gigs because that's just not how it used to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, again, like very candid, great relationships with Merrill, Philip Merrill College of Journalism, uh, sports journalism at University of Maryland. Like I told them, like, God didn't prepare us to freelance. And so I had to learn how to do that. So anyway, December 2018, I dropped this uh, reel finally. And I remember two people in particular. Jamel, who I had met, uh, Jamel Hill, who I had met at a, on occasion, but you know how she's so popular. Like you meet a ton <laughs> of people. You don't know if you made an impression or not. Um, but she retweeted it 
And Maria Taylor retweeted it. And Maria DM'd me. And we had not met at that point. And she was like, I just want you to know I think you're dope. Like, please don't stop. Keep going. Like, a week later, um, the China Robinson, who is a good sister, is a, is a friend and, like, a sister, she calls and is like, I'm letting go of my FS1 contract. Email these people. I know they're going to have games and have needs. Um, and so they, FS1 had given me, like, three games. And I was like, oh, the China, like, they don't really like me. But they called back, and they had a top 15 matchup, Mississippi State versus Texas in Texas. And they asked if I was available. And so I'm thinking, okay, so maybe they do like me because they wouldn't give me what to me is a big deal of a women's basketball game if they didn't right. think, you know what I mean? Um, and so that kind of was the moment where things started to pick back up. Surely enough, even though I was stripped on the China was right, like they just gave you the few to see how you do. More came. Um, my good friend Chloe Pavlik at the time was with Overtime, which was launching into content and stuff. And, and again, this is why that networking across thing is so important. I remember the text. Chloe was like, Mon, I don't know what we're doing, but I think you'd be good for it. Can you just send me your reel? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and I did. And like that formulated a relationship with Overtime, which was my introduction to MSG. And like things started to, dominoes started to fall and break my way there. Um, and then uh, it was March. Was it March? Yeah, it was March. And I'm sitting on my couch because, you know, when you broke Spain, that's when you learn how to budget best, right? <laughs> so I had paid all my bills and I got a call from a number I didn't recognize. And at this point, I was answering the bill collectors like, listen, if you look at my track record, I'm much better about this. But right now I'm broke. Like, just know that yeah. it's coming. And sometimes they, they would have these scenarios where they could switch things up for me and look out. But whatever. So I'm answering the phone hesitantly. I'm like, hello? This is Pat Ro- Pat Lowry from ESPN. Um, I'm the coordinating producer of women's basketball. This is Monica McNutt. I'm like, yes, and I know who you are. How may I help you? Right. <laughs> so she's like, this is a Wednesday. She's like, I have an emergency. Can you come down and do my tournament on Saturday? I was like, I got to be in LA on Monday for Big East. But yes, I can. So I came down, watched games for the ACC tournament on Friday, did the studio on Saturday. And on my way out, her assistant was like, Pat wants to see you, Pat wants to see you, Pat wants to see you. So we stopped by the truck. She's like, you were excellent. There's a couple of times I would have slowed you down, but you will hear from us when ACC Network launches. Um, and that's how that happened. Yeah, that's wild. Um, so you mentioned you have your own uh, fairy godfather. Um, <laughs> Jamel, I've actually called my career godmother, fairy godmother, Um and she was my very first guest on this podcast in part because of that, because she saw me at a W summit on stage doing stuff and said, why are you not on TV? The next time I'm out, you're going to fill in and host numbers. Never lie. I'm like, okay, sure. Nice. And then a couple months later, she's out and I get a call to fly to Bristol and host a live hour TV show. Um, and she followed up and she's always been, you know, lift as you, as you rise kind of person. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. awesome to hear that those women, um, but, but I mean, honestly, now that I get uh, videos or, or send stuff from, from certain people or do interviews, I'm always telling them you're really good at this, or you should keep at this or not, if I don't think so. But you know, when you spot mm-hmm, someone mm-hmm. that's really got it, you do want to help them out. And so that's fantastic that they helped you get your foot in the door, but it's very clear that you uh, on your own have been the reason that you've gone from ACC network as a focus, which is a great place to be, but really taking over on the highest levels across sports center, uh, ESPN, NBA and WNBA coverage around the horn. Like it's, it's been really impressive to, to try to even keep up with how quickly it's moving for you. And I know I've seen you post a couple times. It's going real fast, like faster than I expected. Yeah. Yeah. How has that been for you? Because it's wonderful. And you're at the right age to be completely overwhelmed. I remember that age. It's a good one for that. Cause you don't have other mm-hmm. shit going on and yeah. you have got tons of energy, but are you figuring out how to balance it all? Uh, that's an ongoing thing, right? And I think you and I have discussed this candidly. Scott Van Pelt has, um, had this candid conversation with me too. And I think whether it's our roots as com- competitors in sports or just competitive people, the goalpost keeps moving, right? Like I bust my butt to get here. Don't get me wrong. But like, I can't compete with the years in that you have on me or, or reality or mean, or, you know what I mean? Like, and not, I shouldn't say compete in a negative way, but now I'm here and I'm like, I got a whole mountain. Like yesterday I had a call with our boy, Josh Bart. Cause I'm like, yo, let's check in. I'm feeling like I haven't had my best shows as of late. Like how do we continue so to good improve? of you to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and then honestly say, I like to keep it a buck. There is in the back of my mind, which I think why, um, some recent events at ESPN, were so triggering, there is in the back of my mind, I don't ever want somebody to look and say diversity hiring. 
right? Right. Mm-hmm. And and I carry that in the same way that I'm sure at some point you've carried being a woman in this space. I still right? do. I mean, I still get that. And like the thing is, when I was younger, I'd be like, "Is that true? Oh my god, do I suck?" And now I'm like, F- "You, <laughs> like, like, I'm good at this. Get out of here." But like, you yeah. gotta earn that. You gotta earn that. You gotta yeah. fake it until you make it, and then eventually, yeah. hopefully, be in a spot where there isn't that imposter syndrome, and where you're like, "No, nah, I got this." Um. So I think I am learning. You've got to give yourself grace. I also am learning in a real way in this chapter, and I'm always one that says you have to have a healthy relationship with no. And now it's for me to say no and not feel guilty because I know the next thing is coming. The next ask is coming. Um, This past year in particular was about busting my butt to get to the contract that kicks in in October, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Improving my value, right? Like do so many things you just can't be replaced. Um, But there's two things for me as I move forward. And I don't... Part of it is my journalism school experience. The other part is just kind of following folks in this business who I respect it. We're in this space where there's sports entertainment and there's sports journalists. Like, girl, I had a whole complex on Instagram about that little label where you put news personality or journalist. Yes, totally. Right? Mine says news personality, and I hadn't looked at it in years. And I looked, I go, is that what I chose? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have had journalism and took it off. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had a whole complex. And so for me... I think it's a fun space to be able to combine both. But as I move forward, the credibility is so important to me. I got into this ultimately around sitting courtside at games and telling you why it does or doesn't work. Doris Burke was someone who I admired and hoped to have uh, to be able to do some of the similar things in terms of calling NBA games. But to me, that's those are the things that make you credible. Right. Like not that you can't be funny and make a good point just on reading notes or watching tape. But at this point, well, let me shake an athlete's hand. Let me talk to a coach. Hold me accountable if you thought the take was trash. Give me something that separates me from um, Superfan Joe, who might also have synergy and watch a game more than once. You know what I mean? Right. So a couple things on that. One, I'll tell you that I think you when you said you have to give yourself grace, that's a huge part of it. And I always talk about how Lebetard really allowed me to do that, in part because he very clearly knows his stuff. He's been in the business forever. He's got connections up the wazoo. But he, in the middle of his show, would be willing to just randomly be like, does anyone know who's the coach of the jazz? Anyone, anyone in the room right now, who's the coach of the jazz? Or, you know, can anyone name more than three players on the nets? And he would do that as a reminder that like, there's a lot of artifice in this industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And and not always in a bad way. It's just, there's a lot of shit to know. Right. So like, the idea that everybody knows every single thing all the time is an unrealistic expectation and also is overwhelming and can be crippling for people in the business. Like now, listen, if you're an NFL analyst, then yeah, you got to know everything about the NFL. You're going to come on and people are going to want to ask questions and you're going to need to know what you need to, to cover that sport. But when you're a generalist or an opinionist, like so many of us are, you're going to do your best to have fair, honest, informed takes on the things that you need to cover. And there's not always going to be room in your head for everything. Mm-hmm, and when he mm-hmm. started doing stuff like that, it just gave me a little bit more of an understanding that you could be great at this and not have to be the best at all of it. Like I used to be right. like, well, if I'm going to talk NFL, I got to be as good as Mina Kimes. But then when I switch over to NBA, I got to be Doris Burke. And then when I switch mm-hmm. over, I mm-hmm. got to know everything about women's sports. I got to know everything. And it was so overwhelming that it was that I was terrified all the time of screwing up. And yeah. what Dan really showed me is that you can screw up. It doesn't mean that you're not deserving and you don't belong. You just let it roll right off and you keep it moving. And the more defensive and worried you are when you screw up, the more people see that and think, oh, they know they don't belong either. When in fact, Mm -hmm. you just made a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've seen some very high profile people talk about players that aren't even in a game and say what a great game they had because they're just (laughs) trying to can keep up because there's too much shit to know. Right. Um, And and that's so huge that you already know that this early, that you just have to have grace with yourself because there are plenty of people who are going to know every stat and every player. That doesn't mean they're a good storyteller. It doesn't mean they're entertaining. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. they're a good listener or thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Honestly, coming from you, Spain, like that holds so much weight because literally talking to Bar yesterday, I'm like, Sarah comes on and she knows everything. Like, I just want to be keeping up with Sarah. Like, she's so pretty all the time. I, it's really cool. That's how I felt about Jamel when I started. I would See, go into but, meetings for his and hers and numbers never lie. I'd be like, this, she knows everything. <laughs> so it's, but I, And I think this part is so important because, especially among women, right? We all busy trying to act like we got it. Well, for real, dog, no. Like, did you watch the game? What did you observe? I'm going to say that. Do you mind? Right, like, right, um, right, so right, right, right. I think you, Mina, Kat in particular, especially when hockey topics come up, have been so incredible because they're like, yo, text me if you got any issues. And the amount of people right. that have said that to me and genuinely mean it, 
Like that is so unique about the people that I've been fortunate to work with. I mean, Tony calling me before my first ATH, like I was like, wow, like he he really cares. And then to watch oh, he him really the does. whole group, mm-hmm. like he takes such great care Papa of the product. Yep. For sure, for sure. Um, but just in general, like it's dope to be able to have honest and candid conversations because it is it is I love my job and I'm very thankful to do what I do. But girl, damn if I don't want a vacation. Like, you know what I mean? And I feel, and now after this- Welcome to the rest of your life. Yeah. Like I find myself feeling like that once a month. Like- Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to take a vacation and I'll tell you this because I just took one. You're going to come back. And last night I watched eight hours of the red zone. My husband's like, you're the only person who watches Sunday's red zone on a Wednesday. And I'm like, I didn't get to watch the games. I don't want to get back on my show and talk about stuff I didn't see. So here mm-hmm. we are catching up because I took five days off. Only two two of them were work days, but yeah. I'm still behind. And now I got to do all my catch up and all the work. So, uh, but it's worth it. I want to, I want to ask you about unseen productions. Cause I never heard about that until I read an article about you making your way up the ranks at ESPN. Can you talk about that? So shout out to Jasmine Ellis. You, did you know Jazz? When you, you're not a little bit, you know a little bit, like not not really as much in person, but yeah, knew knew of her. All right, so Jasmine Ellis, Charles Peach, Ryan Cortez, Tierney Corrigan, um, they're all they all work under Ride Home, and like Cortez worked closely with Levitard, I believe. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so they this is Jazz's brainchild, as I understand it. Basically, she wanted to help prepare diverse candidates for the Ride Home brand of shows, all of our conversation, opinionist type shows, right? Um, and so, who told me to reach out to Jazz? Kareem White, one of our terrific talent yeah. producers or talent coordinators um, at ESPN, was like, you should connect with Jazz. And it was so funny when we connected because she was kind of like, I've been meaning to reach out to you and whatever. And so she asked me about Unseen and told me about the purpose. And I'm like, yes, like, uh, sure, I-, I would love to do that. And so, we talk about tremendous producers and behind the scene folks like that group for that, for unseen productions, not to be a show. Like we would, Justin Tinsley was my partner. We would do a, a session once a week and basically the same thing we do on around the horn. Um, we'd have questions. We've had a Google doc. We've got a researcher and we flesh it out. And then we would record the producers would take it, break it down, give us feedback um, so great. I wish yeah, I'd gotten we, to do that. That's it was that, so wonderful. It was amazing, Spain. Like it was and so I remember Justin and I texting, like, when did we do that? But was was that in the pandemic? Yeah, because we had studios in our house. That was in the pandemic. But I remember him and I being like, dog, like, you're gonna get the call up to around the horn soon. I can just feel it. Like they need you. Like you can get the call up to highly questionable. Like, I can feel it, I can feel it. So when it happened for both of us, um, it was just so crazy. But that was the biggest shout out goes to Jazz because of her vision. And she, because she's a producer and worked under Right Home, she understood how best to create a pipeline. Right. And so yeah. those those tapes were being shuffled around ESPN. Um, you know, me and numbers that I don't recognize. The first time Aaron Solomon called me, I thought he was a telemarketer and I was in the bathroom. So I was like, we're like, listen, I'm not broke anymore, but I'm still <laughs> worried about this. I swear I answered the phone like, please take this number off your list. <laughs> he was like, hello? <laughs> <laughs> So interestingly, I remember when I talked to Jamel, one of the things, because both she and Jackie Mack, who I went to like a hot stove, cool music event um, in Chicago um, from when Theo Epstein got here and um, it was a big, you know, a baseball charity thing. And she said, I don't know why you're not on TV more. You're so great. And I was like, yeah, you know, most of the time they just say we don't have enough proof of concept because I had done a small Chicago based show um, for maybe, I don't know, 20 episodes that was not even specific to sports. And then, you know, they gave me one little shot doing a sports center hit with Steve Levy on the Blackhawks, but they just, you know, I didn't do the one man band thing. I didn't work for any small markets. I didn't have any TV tape for them at all. And it's just a copycat industry where, you know, you need to see people to believe they can do it. And so I told Jackie Mack that I told Jamel that and Jamel's like, listen, I'm getting you to host my show. I'm just going to tell him you can do it. And I've seen it. And that's why it was such a big deal that she did that because it just, it, it wasn't, I wasn't somewhere where anyone could see me. And so having something like unseen productions where you don't have to have it be on camera and run the risk of boom goes the dynamite situation. You could actually see if someone can handle it. Um, that's awesome. That's such a smart idea. And I think a lot of the ESPN two shows were meant to be somewhat uh, incubators to introduce new people and see what they could do. And it's been hard lately that a lot of those aren't around right now, because especially a lot of the Levitard based and ride home stuff, there was such a great way for not only 
only them to find great talent within the company, but for us to all to get to work together. And Mm -hmm. I I really, I mean, I've talked to Mina about this for sure. I know Emily Kaplan reached out to me right before her first around the horns and talking to people about being themselves um, and how much more fun that is to watch and how much more interesting it is when you're giving great information, when you're transparent and authentic. Um, I think that really came through on those shows. And I mean, Mina, for, for instance, is the greatest and always knows the most. But early on, she was so much stiffer in her delivery until she started getting to do some dumb shows like HQ where we're analyzing like a dog on a bicycle. And all of a sudden she's like snorting and her laugh is stupid and she's making funny faces. And everyone falls in love with like, oh my gosh, this brilliant person is also just a goofball. And that's what I love too about you getting to um, around the horn is you came in hot right away with like who you are and your personality. And there wasn't a stiffness to it, which I think reveals that you have a lot of natural confidence. Um, the, so the confidence thing is crazy. And that's one thing I will probably be like, shout out to God, like naturally gifted. I don't know that I've ever really, really struggled with confidence. I was, I was always tall, like long, gonna get in trouble, like whatever. Um, and I think for me, the only thing that I have put my foot down on sincerely when it came to TV was my hair. Right. Mm. Um, and so by the time around the horn hit, I, I literally can't be anybody else thing. Like, mm-hmm. and I know that's Ditto. Kind of simple. Ditto. But you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I remember being in grad school in our anchor days and they're like, watch an anchor that you love. I thought, why do I want to call her a Diane Sawyer? I was like, her name is not Martha Sawyer. Anyway, uh, uh, I think Diane Sawyer is incredible. But when I sat down to anchor and tried to give reporter voice, like mm-mm. I literally don't have it unless I'm joking around. Like I can't do it seriously. I find myself laughing at myself. Like I, I so for me, by the time I got to Around the Horn, having watched you guys, I, I'm like, well, let's let it fly. Like they clearly saw me in Unseen Productions. And so I'm not going to switch up now. And right. so boom. Um, so I just... It sounds so simple, but like, and and maybe some people have been tremendously successful modeling their styles after people that they admire down to voices and cadence. But for well, me, and I think the it don't time, I think the time matters. So when I was coming up, it was much more difficult to imagine being able to speak that th- whatever way is the most natural because everybody was reporter voice. And there right. weren't, this was even before like really big, like, where you could see Michelle Beadle, um, obviously pre, you know, obviously pre Katie Nolan and and all the other folks, but like, it did feel like there was a requirement for, you know, ESPN, you mm-hmm. know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to watch that. And I don't want to do that. I don't talk yeah. like that. And so it was um, rebellious at the time for me to say, I'm just going to be myself and go get a job in Chicago where I'm interviewing all the players and asking them to rap, you know, Fergie glamorous. And, <laughs> and what did you wear for Halloween? And like fun stuff. And at first it was off putting because people were like, what's going on? Who is this? What is this? And then it was, oh, okay. A lot of people want that kind of rapport with the players they don't Mm -hmm. want it to be so stiff and so now i think you look around and it's much more prominent in part because there's so many more different media streams and there's so many more outlets that are in the digital space or or blogs or whatever that allow for that kind of casual approach um but yeah, I mean, it's it's intimidating at first until you lean into the fact that people actually want to see that authenticity. What do you want to do? You mentioned Doris Burke. And I do think that what's unfortunate, particularly on the women's side, is there is a desire to put women in a specific box. Either you're a quote unquote real journalist who's unbiased and beat reportery, or you're funny or you're entertaining or you're whatever. And people, you know, when I do reporting and work on sexual assault or domestic violence in sports, and then I simultaneously do funny like raps and things, people have trouble co- like you know letting those coexist and i don't yeah. it's it's yeah. very much whatever mode you're in but i understand what you're saying if you want to be the doris burke is that as easy when people have a personality to pick apart whereas she leans into just the work um i think it's just whatever the assignment is right uh I, it's so funny that you mentioned timing though spain because the Timing of the last year for me, coming off the heels of George Floyd and our, our country sort of finally having a conversation in sincerity for however long it lasted about our relationships with marginalized communities, um, I think that was a, important for me. Like, I remember the January 6th episode of, or the January 7th, maybe, of Highly Questionable and Texan Jazz, like, yeah, so how close am I to actually getting on? Because th- the perspective is missing. At the time, Elle was out on maternity leave, Right. Um, and so when people ask me, what do I want to do? It is the first answer is just not to be boxed in because I'm with you. I don't believe that 
you have to be a specialist. Um, I think I have skills that play well in different fields, and I'm very proud of that. Ultimately, on my list of things that I accomplished, I hope to get to be an analyst on NBA action. Cool. Um, but I don't want to be Doris Burke in that. That's all that I do. Right. Yeah. Do you have certain things that you are, uh, you know, I know you said you're actually quite good at getting in front of people and saying, this is what I want, or this is what, this is what I'm looking to do. Are you doing that right now around the company or are they all coming to you? Cause it sure feels like a lot of them are just coming to you. No, nah, I'm still pushing. <laughs> okay. What are you pushing for? Pushing. Um, that a seat on a seat as an analyst for NBA this season, even if it means going to radio, because again, for me, Spain, like that's part of the credibility. Right. I'm not saying that we can't pull up to HQ or whatever the new version is going to be and crack jokes. I think there's time for that too. But the smarter jokes that leave the people that enjoy listening to us with something to hold are because I called this game last week and I could tell y'all. You know right. what I mean? Right. Um, and so the analyst chair is the big thing that's at the top of my list right now. And, and I appreciate sports entertainment television. I appreciate our bosses. I get it. I could do first take just because I consume the game, right? Because we home watching games over or on Synergy. But I'm you're probably better in that space when I can say, well, I was at whatever. And I heard Stephen A. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so it's not for me to leave any of the opportunities that I currently have. In fact, Around the Horn is one of my favorite because I think you guys are so smart. It's a fast moving show. I learn something all the time and we have a good time doing it. Right. But to me, the credibility and the reason that I got into this industry, honestly, is to be on site at games. And at this point in my life, with no husband and no babies to be, like, I can That's go. That's the time Let to do know. it. That's yeah. the time to do it. Yeah. Um, I could talk to you forever, uh, uh, obviously. And I'm currently someone who's trying to weasel my way into working with you more often at the company as well. Um, but before I let you go, you do have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. I didn't expect the kind of Spanish Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition. It's the 10 question speed round. Number one, your current career is canceled. What job do you do instead? I'm going back to teaching English and coaching high school basketball. Ooh, nice. Number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Ooh, most scared I've ever been. Um, I had a dream that I like uh, went off the rails one time on air and got fired. I don't even know. I don't I don't remember what I was saying, but I just remember waking up being like, you just ruined everything. Like you worked so yeah. hard <laughs> for yeah. everything. Isn't it the worst when you wake up from your dream and it takes a few minutes to realize that it was not real? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that God, one. Okay. I take, I dreamt that my dad passed away one time too. And yeah. now I woke up like crying. Like I hate stuff. Like right. That. The worst. Yeah. Number three, you could be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? Singing. Oh, so good. Right. <laughs> Uh, number four, what current celebrity from music, politics, TV, sports, whatever, would you most like to be your best friend? It's my girl, Yvonne Orgy. I think she's. Oh, I feel yeah. like you could be right. I, you, I mean, you got some, she's from PG. Like, right. There's some mutual it. connections, right? Because she used uh, to date like that. Mm -hmm. Emmanuel Acho, right? And he's an. Have you had more girl. research on that other thing that we're not going to say right no, now? No. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm going to dig into it a little more. I'll let you know. Okay. Okay. All right. That's a nice inside conversation that no one listening <laughs> to the podcast will understand. Number five, what's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? Unpainted nails or like raggedy, like leftover nail polish. Like why? Just That's either take so it off funny. or get it done. We have a joke with my friends because one time my girlfriend showed up to brunch and my friend looked at her nails and goes, those look uh, industrial. <laughs> and then we started calling her Dusty. So whenever we we need to get our nails done, we're like, oh, I'm looking dusty. <laughs> yeah, to... <laughs> no, like that hurts me. Like, oh, that just crazy. Oh, that reminds me. I meant to ask you, you talked about your hair. Did you have moments throughout your career where they tried to get you to change it? Um, I did get feedback that was like, um, what are you doing with your hair? Um, but for the most part, I, uh, to be fair, for the most part, people said it was neat. But you know how the game goes there. Like, they're not going to say straight up, right. you didn't have the look we were looking for. You're just right. not going to get the job. Right, 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 right. Um, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? New Year's Eve, New Year's Day game. I don't get embarrassed a ton, I'll be honest. I'm just like, whatever, life happens, it makes me relatable. <laughs> New Year's Day, Georgetown was playing. I took a step forward at the wheel call and it was like something out of a commercial. I had on these super cute boots. Like my outfit was cute. My legs like went up from under me. Like I fell over. <laughs> it was guys in line behind me. Oops. I remember being like, let's just leave that back in 
2010 or whatever year it was. <laughs> uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? I play around when it comes to time. Like I'll, I'll get to the flight. Don't worry. It's going to work out. I can or like this time. podcast, like my, my laptop time was my wrong. My laptop time is, is four minutes a, behind my phone time. Like, isn't that something you could <laughs> fix? <laughs> I, now that I, I didn't realize it was off, I will fix it as soon as we wrap. <laughs> You were only a couple minutes late. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. So you would like to be more punctual? I could be more punctual, yeah. Okay. Number eight, any musician or band, alive or dead, can play your next party. Who is it? So I love, 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 love The Temptations. <laughs> I'm so old. Okay. All right. Old head. My, so my dad. Are like they all still alive? Guy. So I don't think so. Okay. Well, fact, I said I alive or dead, so. Yeah, like I want like the original group, like from the movie that my sister and I will watch twice if we're just sitting around chilling around. Like we just love it. I've never seen the movie. What movie? The is original? It? It's the what is the name of the movie? Is it called the Temptation movie? I think it is with um Cynthia Bailey's ex husband is David Ruffin. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? It's not. The, is it the Leon. Five Heartbeats? No, 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 not the Five Heartbeats. Is that's it the one. Fighting Temptations? No, no that's, that's the Beyonce. No, it's like the it's, Temptations movie. It's a mini. It's a TV mini series. It's not a. No, 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 no. It's a movie. Hold on. I am not finding a Temptations movie. There's definitely a tip because my sister, it's like my sister's and I favorite thing. Um, oh, from 98? Yeah. It's old. It's a yeah. mini series. No, it's a movie. <laughs> I promise we're going to solve this. You're saying, you're movie. saying David Ruffin's in it? Yes. Okay. It's a mini series, but you probably thought it was a movie. It was, why were they, are you serious? Now I'm like yeah. shocked. It won it's an Emmy. Movie. It was on TV. No, it's, that's a mini series, babe. <laughs> that's a movie with the dude that's, come on. Anybody think about you, Otis. That's a mo That's a mini series? I swear to God, I thought that was a movie. I mean, I don't know because I don't know what you're talking about, but if you're talking about one where David Ruffin is Leon, then Leon it's, a, it's a mini series. Oh my God. I Oba wow. Baba Tunde is Barry Gordy. Yes. Wow, it's yeah. a miniseries? miniseries I would have lost all my money betting that. The more you know. <laughs> Thank you for uh, Number nine, what would you consider your biggest failure? Uh, uh, I, I don't have one of those. Biggest failure? Uh, I just think that everything happens for a reason. Like, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Biggest failure? I mean, to go super deep, I do kind of wish my sister and I were closer, but you know how siblings go. Yeah. <laughs> we're just, we're just different you, people. How old is she? She's, she'll be 30 next month. We're two years apart. I, I don't know this for sure because maybe there's some real shit in there, but I'd say it gets better. My sister and I were not super close. We're much closer than we used to be. She's still not my like best friend, but um, the older you get, the more you like realize that you're the only two people that share that family experience. You realize you have more in common than you thought, and what you got to do is go on vacation somewhere where you don't have other friends to hang out with, and you need to have like three bottles of wine together and just talk about your lives and who you are. That's legit, and I agree with you because it has gotten better as we've gotten older. So I agree with you on that. Um, yeah. But you know, you see the movies, and I'm like, my sister's not my best friend, man. Yeah, no, my 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 two girlfriends in Chicago, their sisters legit are their best friends. They talk to them every day, and I'm like, yeah, no, I don't need that. Yeah. She's mm -hmm. nice. I like her. We get along well, but I don't need that. Uh, number ten. What three individual words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Energetic, um, well prepared. That's a hyphenated one. Well, sorry, I'll give I'll give it to you. Thank you, thank you. Um. And I think kind. Like, I just think kindness goes a long way. I agree. Those are good ones. Final question. Who should I have on this podcast? It can be from any industry, anyone I would find interesting that you think I should talk to. Um, wow, that's a good one. I think, so my girls coming up in the ranks of the ESPN, up next, I'm going to go with two people because we're all like a little trio. Christine Williamson and Kelsey Riggs, because I think they too have hey. re really cool stories um, in terms of pushing along. And they're dope. Cool. I have gotten to work with both of them very briefly each, but I've gotten to host with Kelsey Riggs once and do a like Twitter live thing with, with, with Christine. So um, I'll have to, I'll have to look into those. Yeah. Those are my girls. Love. Thanks for chatting with me. I'm so glad I got to know more about you and I'm basically going to be stalking all the opportunities <laughs> to work with you. So just be prepared. Um, sounds good. And I am looking forward to that because it's time to have some programming around some things that we both are super passionate about. It's time. Let's go. Put it out into the universe and manifest that shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right, Monica, this was awesome. Thanks so much for doing it. I know you're incredibly busy, so I appreciate it. That's what she said. Oh yeah. One more thing. 
So this is a place for rants, raves, everything in between. Sometimes I'll complain, sometimes I'll rave, sometimes I'll share a great story or tell you something I think you should read, listen to, or watch. And this week, listen to the podcast, The Run. I realize I'm promoting another podcast that I'm on, on the podcast that I host, but this is a good one. It's about the Cubs 2016 World Series run, featuring yours truly in the second to last episode, talking to host Roy Wood Jr. that you know and love from the Daily Show and Comedy Central specials, and Matt Spiegel from here in Chicago, about uh, the Cubs World Series games three through six, my Bill Murray encounters, uh, drinking a bar out of beer, heckler spring training trips, uh, getting to change the Amos Cthulhu sign, all sorts of stuff. It's super fun. Really enjoyed talking to those guys. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. So check that out. Don't forget, you could always tweet me at Sarah Spain if you have guest suggestions, questions, dilemmas for me to fix. And you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate it. Five stars, please. Give me a review. Uh, and maybe I'll read it here on this podcast. Thanks for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. That's what she said.